Acts chapter 25, beginning in verse 13. We'll read verses 13 and 14. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. Let's go down to verse 23, chapter 25 and verse 23. It's a little bit of a longer passage. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death, and he himself appealed to the emperor. I decided to go ahead and send him, but I have nothing definite to write my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write, for it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. You know, I graduated um, from Biola University when I was a senior at Biola University as in the last weeks of our semester, our our spring semester, right before we graduated, um, someone put on a senior retreat, a chance for those who were graduating to go on a retreat. And we went Um, river rafting up on the Kern River just above Lake Isabella. And if anybody's been up there, you know the terrain. It's kind of deserty, but river rapids, a whole, a great time. You could imagine a number of college seniors together having a great time. A lot of us came in together as freshmen, and we had spent four years together, and, uh, and we had this opportunity to be together, and we invited one of our favorite faculty members at the time to come, and at the evening times around the campfire to give some words of wisdom to us graduates, to charge us as we went out, and he brought with him his elementary age son at the time, and um, while we were river rafting, he and his son um, would basically spend the day that they would go around the banks of the river and they would catch lizards. They were catching lizards. This is what they were doing. They would have this little cage and they would have these lizards that they had caught during the day. And at night, it brought, he, he had come with a message to, to give to us, but his, his lizard catching activity during the day prompted him to change course in what he was going to say. And because this proverb came to his mind, and it stuck with me in what he has said. And the proverb was Proverbs, 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 28, and it says this, having all of these lizards before him. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. A lizard can be caught with the hand, you could even add by an elementary age boy, Right? But it can be found in king's palaces, that even the most secure palaces, 
The most secure states can't keep the lizards out. And, you know, you might say in our day and age, you might think of like on, on our continent, it might be rodents or things like that. But, you know, in the, in the Middle East, lizards, right? In the desert, it's lizards. So even the most secure palaces cannot keep out the lizards. And his point to us graduating, going out in the world, many of us going out in ministry, and even today I have many friends from that class that I could point to the churches that they serve in, that God can place you anywhere if you are open to being caught by him. God can place you anywhere if you're open to being caught by him. Something to even this day, to this day, continues to pop into my mind every once in a while. And even as I was preparing this passage, that Proverbs, that, that, uh, that urging by one of our professors stands out in my head. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. And we will see that embodied in our passage today. And we're going to look forward to seeing that with the Apostle Paul. If you're here with us for the first time or you don't realize it, we're, we're at the end of our Acts series. We have been looking at the book of Acts. It's going to be in two weeks we'll come up on the anniversary of our beginning, our Acts series. And we have been looking at the book of Acts. And like I said, if you've been like me during the COVID-19 season, you may have binge-watched a little something on Netflix or something like that. And you know that if you binge-watch something, like we've been binging the book of Acts, that you have to go through your previously in the book of Acts, or previously on this show. So here's our previously in the book of Acts, okay? Now, we've just about made it to the end, but Acts begins with an emphasis on Jerusalem, that Jesus has risen from the dead, that Jesus stands in Jerusalem to his disciples, and he says to them, you will be my witnesses. You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts focus on, really, on, on the apostle Peter and his time in Jerusalem. You get into chapters 9 through 13, and you, you're introduced to a couple more people, like Philip. You're introduced uh, to, uh, to Cornelius, the Roman centurion. You're introduced to Stephen, the first martyr of the church. And this is in the Judea Samaria. And then the second half of the book of Acts really focuses on the way the gospel goes out, the good news about Jesus, testifying about Jesus, at the feet of and the mouth of the apostle Paul, Saul of Tarsus. Saul, who is also known as Paul, encounters the risen Christ on his way to arrest followers of Jesus. It's a great story because he's the most unlikely candidate to take the message of Jesus out because he just wants to destroy the message of Jesus. But Jesus gets a hold of him. And he gets a hold of him, he knocks him off his horse, he strikes him blind, off his horse, he strikes him blind, and there's a young man named Ananias in the city of Damascus who comes to him and restores his sight, and God tells Ananias something that sets really the tone for the rest of the book and that we're going to see really fulfilled in many ways today. And what the, the risen Jesus says to Ananias is this, this man, speaking of Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. 
And we've seen the Apostle Paul go out and on the roads, you know, he meets Christ on a road outside of Israel and the rest of his life in the book of Acts is on roads outside of Israel leading to Gentile cities. And we see that the Apostle Paul is fulfilling this, that he is taking the good news about Jesus to places to the ends of the earth. But he's not yet, I mean, he's had some pretty good audiences, but they're largely in uh, in marketplaces where he's kind of a barker and he's kind of gathering people around. But here we're going to see that the fulfillment of the idea that, Jesus, that Paul will take the good news about Jesus before kings, this is going to be the first passage that we see that happening. This is really going to be a climax of the book of Acts before Paul eventually gets to Rome where we will anticipate his audience before Caesar even if we don't see it. So that's our previously in the book of Acts. Beginning in chapter 22, Paul finds himself bound. He's not able to travel anymore. He ends this 15-year run of traveling, his missionary journeys, where there's a riot in the temple. He's detained by Romans. He's sent to the coastal city of Caesarea, where he's further detained, and we find himself no longer able to travel freely. But a lizard can be caught with the hand, but it can be found in king's palaces. And that's what we're going to look at today. God can place you anywhere if you are open to being caught by Him. Let's take a look at this passage. Look at 25, 13, verse 13 in verse chapter 25. When some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and greeted Festus. Now, that's like a, that's like a, a, a talk soup of names that you might not have ever heard before. So King Agrippa, I'll just give you a little background. So the kings of Israel, the the big guy, the big guy was Herod the Great, and he was not a great man because he was a great person. Actually, Herod the Great was kind of a loon, but he was a great builder, and that's why he is called Herod the Great. Herod the Great, after he died, left his kingdom to a number of sons, and there was a little bit of chaos for a while, but it all got consolidated under one of, his, one of his grandsons, essentially, which was Agrippa. This Agrippa. Agrippa, this is Agrippa II. And he was the one in which this really, the, the legacy of Herod and the power of Herod was reconsolidated under a 40-year reign. And, and just to let you guys know, in the ancient world, 40 years of reigning, that's a pretty good reign. The average reign of a, of a Roman Caesar was about four years before they got assassinated, okay? So if you have a 40-year reign in a certain spot, that's a pretty good reign. And probably the idea is that when Luke, when Luke is writing the book of Acts, it is this Herod Agrippa, Agrippa II, that is in power while this is going on. And so if you were reading the book of Acts, if you were one of the first readers of the book of Acts, you would have heard that the reigning sitting king of the area of Israel, the nation of Israel, that Paul had an audience before him, and that's pretty significant. For us, we're like, who's Agrippa? But if you were hearing this for the first time, what Luke is intending to do is this prophecy about the Apostle Paul is coming to pass before our very eyes. Bernice is his sister, not his wife, um, and there's no hanky-panky, they're just, they're just there, but in the ancient world, you never know. Um, and it says that Paul stayed there for many days in verse 14, and Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there is this man left prisoner by Felix. And again, if you're keeping score at home, the previous governor of this area, so you had Jewish kings, but you had Roman governors, 
So really it was the Roman governors and the Roman authority that was in charge, and you had these local kings. But Felix had kept Paul under house arrest in this coastal city of Caesarea with some freedom, but he would call to him every once in a while, hey, come and, and tell us what you think. And he had a wife, his wife was Jewish, who was act, Drusilla, who was actually the sister of Agrippa. That was Felix. But Felix ended his time at the post. They, they appointed a new governor, and that's Festus. Is everybody, you guys with me now? Man, this is, I was like, when I was writing this down, I'm like, oh, we'll just go through this quick. But I was like, all right, I think we might have lost some people in the weeds on this one. So, all right, is everybody with me? Just give me a little thumbs up. If you haven't fallen asleep, if you have, that's okay. I still, I, I'm still with you. Okay. All right. So, Paul, as he is there, he, he now has been brought by Festus. Now, Felix, Felix, the first governor, was remembered as kind of this pragmatic, a little bit smarmy, a little bit like he was trying to take a bribe. Like, it says that Felix kept Paul in custody because he wanted to take a bribe from him. He wanted to be offered a bribe. And Paul had come for with all this money from all these other churches, and you can imagine that Felix is like, well, if I keep him around, he might, he might want his freedom, and he might, you know, cut me a little bit, of, cut me in on the deal. But Paul is like, no, I'm just, you know, Paul's like, you want to keep me around to talk to you about Jesus? Well, that's perfect. Like, this is great. So, um, but Festus, when Festus arrives, he's like, look, we got we to gotta figure out what we're going to do with this guy. We got to figure out what we're going to do with this guy. And so he calls the king, Agrippa, in with his sister, Bernice, and he says, what should we do with him? And so essentially, Agrippa says um, that I want to hear what he has to say. And so in verse 29 or 23, it says, the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. So you have the sitting king of this region coming to this coastal city of Caesarea. And by the way, the place where all of this happens, if you go to Israel today, you can actually walk through the ruins of this palace, of this praetorium. You can actually stand on the frescoes where Paul would have given his defense. You can stand there. You know what happens. A lot of times in Israel, you're like, it happens somewhere around here. But when you go to this spot, you can actually go to the spot and stand in that spot. So he calls, they call Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. So Agrippa comes with the pomp of a king and, uh, and his entourage and military tribunes. These are the guys who are over all the centurions. Centurions are over 100 soldiers. Tribunes are over, are over 100 centurions. Or, I'm sorry, 10 centurions each. My, my fault. So they're over 1,000 soldiers each. They bring them all in and they gather. They, they all come in. And, and just think about the scene. They're at this coastal city of Caesarea, which is kind of like the Newport Beach of, of Israel. It's, a, it's a, a beautiful place, and they come in with all, with all this pomp, with their entourages, with all these military leaders, with, with the king, with, with the governor, and this is, and we just, I just want to pause here for a second, because a lizard can be caught with the hand, but it can be found in king's palaces. You think about Paul and his missionary journeys, and what does he do? He goes into a town, he's a leather worker, he's a tent maker, and he is, he's gathering people in the marketplace. Anybody would hear, he's kind of like a carnival barker in a lot of ways. Gathering a crowd, whatever crowd he possibly can. There's like, in the marketplace, there's riots all the time and all this. But here a crowd has been gathered. And who does the gathering? It's not Paul crying out in the marketplace. This is a gathering from initiated by the king 
made possible by the governor with all the prominent people of the city, and Paul doesn't have to yell out at all. Because a lizard can be caught with a hand, but it will be found in king's palaces that God can gather a crowd whenever God wants to gather a crowd. And he can do it on the dime of the Roman Empire if God wants to. God can place you anywhere and he can gather anyone around you as you are faithful to declare and bear witness of who Jesus is. So 26.1, Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And then it says this, that Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Now, every other place where the apostle Paul, like I said, Paul is the, the, car, the, the, the marketplace preacher. He's the street preacher. But here, Paul is now in a, in a hall of dignitaries. And he has the floor. There's no riot that's impending this is, this is a quiet room set up simply to listen to Paul tell his story. There was probably no other time in Paul's ministry where it was that quiet, where he could see, speak uninterrupted about his own story. And as you read in the Greek of this passage, it is the most eloquent Greek that we have of Paul giving a speech in all of the book of Acts. It's polished, it's clean. This, this is the fulfillment that he is my chosen instrument and he will bear my name before kings and princes and the Gentiles and he's doing that right here. Now Paul tells a story. This is the third time he tells a story in the book of Acts so I'm not gonna go through it again. But there's a couple things I wanna point out. Look at 26.19. Just a few things we're gonna point out and then I want, I want to challenge us with one thing, and then we'll, we'll be done with the day, or done with the, the morning. But a couple things I want to point out. 26.19 says this, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I, will not, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So he tells this whole story, and he tells it to King Agrippa, and he's speaking to King Agrippa, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. 26.20 But I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jewish leaders seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And then verse 22. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. So I stand here testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer, and that being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul stands before them, stands before the king, and he says, look, and this is one thing that, that stood out to me, is he's standing there, and we have this scene, all these dignitaries, kings, princesses, Roman governors, military leaders, all listening to him, and he says, I've had, I've had the help that comes from God. Why do you think you all are here? I have had the help. Why do you think I'm still alive? 
I have had the help that comes from God. And if you disagree with that, you're not paying attention. I have had the help that comes from God. And I love this too. So I stand here testifying both to small and great. I love this because you know in these entourages that come in, it's not just it's not just the military leaders, it's their servants. It's the people that kind of come in, part of their entourage. It's not just the king, it's their servants, it's the middlemen. And Paul is saying, look, I'm not just talking to the king, I'm talking to everybody here. And I see you over there. I see you servants, I see you slaves, I see you. And I'm telling you today, I'm testifying not just to the king, but this is news not just for the king, but for you as well. I love that Paul pays attention to not just the great, but also the small. Do you do this in your life? Like, do you, I love walking into a room of important people and you just start to notice the people that are behind the scenes. I love that Paul has these eyes because he knows Jesus. That's Jesus, right? Jesus doesn't walk into the room and he's not impressed by anybody. He sees everybody in that room and Paul has that mind about him, the mind of Christ. I'm proclaiming to both small and great. Because Paul knows that a lizard can be caught with a hand. But it's found in king's palaces. So Paul says three things that evoke quite a response. This is one of the, this is one of the most colorful exchanges that we have in this time. In verse 26, he says, The Messiah, the Messiah must suffer. At that point, someone's eyebrow would have gone up. The king of Israel, the guy who's going to conquer all, he must suffer. And then he says, by being the first to rise from the dead, and then the other eyebrow would have gone up, rise from the dead. And then he says, to proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Now this is where Festus, the new governor, the new governor who's come from Rome and this wonderful Roman Empire where the Roman Empire is, sp- is stretching out all over the world. and He's, a, he's been appointed as a governor and, and he comes into, this, into, into Israel. It's kind of a backwater place, but he's, this is where Festus is like, I'm out. I'm out. This is crazy. Festus taps out. He says this in verse 24. As Paul is saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And there's a couple of things that we, that we can note about this. One is that Festus recognizes that Paul is, he does have great learning. And, and he quotes, he actually quotes a proverb that your great learning is driving you out of your mind. We have things like this, that with, with the multitude of books, there is, you know, there's, there's depression. Or I don't know what, I don't know how the proverb goes, but there, there is, in, in, there's a Jewish proverb and there's kind of a well-known proverb that the more you learn, the more it kind of scrambles your brain. And basically, that's what he says. He's like, look, Paul, you sound great, and you obviously are learned, but you've gone a little crazy. Messiah king, suffering, rising from the dead, that it's the Gentiles, like, you, you're out of your mind. And so, so uh, Festus is like, okay, I, I don't know what I got myself into by coming down here, but this is my first couple weeks on the job. Uh, this is a little bit crazy for me. And so Paul responds to Festus, and he says, look, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, right? It's like he's, he's, he's making up ground. But I'm speaking true and rational words. And then, and then he turns to the king. The king knows about these things. And to him I speak plainly or boldly. 
I'm persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. And then he turns to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And then Agrippa, in this very frank exchange, you think this, again, think about the scene. Think about what's going on. You have all of these, these prominent figures, and Agrippa says to Paul, in so short a time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Like, basically, he's like, Festus is like, I'm out, and, and Agrippa is like, hey, look, I got to save some face here. Like, you want me to become a Christian? Is that what's happening here? And basically, what ends up happening is that they all, they all get up and they leave. They get up and they leave. Festus' response is that Paul is clearly learned but obtuse. Agrippa knows what's going on, but he's out of there too. And I suppose this is where we would say, okay, he's born. Has Paul been successful? Because neither of these guys, neither of these guys believe. Has Paul been successful? What do you think? I mean, this is, I'm not being rhetorical. I'm actually asking you. What do you think? Yes? Okay. I, I think, I think success, like, no, we got a thumbs up over there. I, okay. I would say this. Paul's success is in his faithfulness. That Paul's success is in his faithfulness. That Paul has been faithful. Because a lizard can be caught with the hand but it is found in king's palaces. Paul is the lizard. Paul is the lizard who is vulnerable, easily caught, unimpressive, easily contained, easily detained, easily snuffed out. But Paul enjoys the protection of God, the guidance of God, and Paul finds himself in a king's palace before a gathering of prominent people. And as we think about Paul's life, in this moment, even if there's no altar call and like, you know, if I were writing this, I would love to see like, and Festus bowed down before the Lord, and Agrippa gave, you know, I would love to have this, this triumphant ending here, right? But the gospel, and again, here's the other thing, you don't even know if Paul's faithfulness in proclaiming this was for the king and the governor, what about the tribunes? What about the prominent people in the city? What about their servants? Because a lizard can be caught with the hand, but it will be found in king's palaces. You think about how Paul had been prepared for this. After 15 years, think about all the Old Testament passages that had been buried deep in Paul's heart that he had memorized, even as a boy, how much preparation that had gone on, how much scripture has been a part of his life, how much learning. You think about how much he has reflected on the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. By this time, Paul had written the book of Galatians, the book of 1 Thessalonians, the book of 2 Thessalonians, the book of 1 Corinthians, the book of 2 Corinthians, the book of Romans. These had all been written by Paul by this time. You think about all the things he could have said. You think back to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He says this, When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to 
to say. You think about how much what he had, the reservoir with which he had prepared, that God had prepared him with. And he, pull, he tells his story. He says, he says a little bit about the Messiah. There's so much more to be said, but Paul is faithful. And I love that you guys note that when we talk about success, one of the things that we need to think about about success is not about triumph. We need to think about success as faithfulness. Because a lizard can be caught with the hand. That is not the most triumphant image that we can think of. But God can place you anywhere if you are willing to be caught by him. And when you are placed in that spot that God will have prepared you through a lifetime, through, and I, I would just, my challenge to us this morning is just to ask the question, how has God prepared me to be faithful? Because I got news for you. If a lizard can be found in palaces, you all will be in places where you can bear witness of Jesus that you never thought you ought to be. And I don't care what age you are, and I want my kids to hear this. I want, I want, you, I want everyone to hear this. God can place you anywhere he wants to. God can place you, I don't know if you're graduating from high school, I don't know if you're just going into high school, I don't know if you're graduating from college, I don't know if you're retired. I want you to consider this, your best years of influence might still yet be ahead of you. Because a lizard can be caught with the hand, but it will be found in king's palaces. And I don't care whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, your faithfulness matters to God. God can still put you in front of any place, in any country, in any palace, any home. God can place you wherever he wants if you are willing to be caught by him. Even if you're not willing to be caught by him, God can still place you wherever he wants to because he's God, right? But think about a life fully given over to God a crowd gathered by a government that is not, that's not particularly fond of the message, and Paul having a silent room to just be faithful, to just be faithful, to speak about Jesus. How has God prepared you to bear witness of Jesus? As we get to the end of Acts, we remember the beginning you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my testifiers. You will be my witnesses. You'll do it here. You'll do it around here. And you'll do it way out there, the ends of the earth. For us, look, I just want us to be faithful here. I mean, we could go to the ends of the earth, and God can take any of you to the ends of the earth. I just want us to be faithful in orange. That's what I want us to be. I want us to be faithful in orange. Let's be faithful in orange. How has God prepared you to be faithful in your neighborhood, in your community, in our city? How has God prepared us to love our own city? And, and just to ask, just I'm going to call the worship team to come on back up, but I, I want to give us a little chance just to reflect where has God, if you are the lizard that can be caught with the hand, where is God being faithful to place you? Where will you be found? Where are you being found? And how has God prepared you 
for that. And I would imagine if you're sitting here and you're paying attention in your life that, and you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit that there are things that God is bringing to your mind. That there's a place, maybe a person, maybe a place, maybe something, maybe a, a venture that, you're, that God is like, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and God's saying, yeah, you should do that because I want to place you somewhere. I want you to move out in this direction. So let's take a moment, let's just, let's, let's pray. And let's just give God some room to work in our hearts. A lizard can be caught with a hand, but can be found in king's palaces. Even just now, just how, how are you imagining that God might want to place you somewhere? How might God want you to be faithful? Lizards can be found everywhere. Who knows what doors God will open. Who knows what protections God has yet to offer to you? Who knows what places God still has to bring his people?